everyone, Cori Babechko here. Now, if you want to read through the Bible this year with my family and I, then check out BibleDiscoveryTV.com. Now, this week, we were supposed to read Genesis 26 to 47. So here's everything that happened in 10 minutes. Genesis 26, it shows us one way that Isaac was similar to his father Abraham and one way that he was different. So Isaac tells people in the Philistinian-controlled area of Gerar that Rebekah, his wife, is his sister so that they will treat him like, well, just like Abraham did to Sarah twice. Ooh. But of course, the ploy is discovered and King Abimelech is mad. What if something had happened and guilt had been brought on his people because of it? Now, unlike Abraham, there's a note here that Isaac increased his wealth by planting crops. Isaac becomes so wealthy that the Philistines start seeing him as a threat and he leaves the area, but King Abimelech still makes a treaty with him. And now in Genesis 27, it's dedicated to the drama between Isaac's twin sons, Jacob and Esau. So when Isaac, as the patriarch, goes to bless Esau as the firstborn son, Jacob takes advantage of his father's age-related blindness to steal the blessing for himself. He ends up running to his mother's family in Padanaram to avoid Esau's murder plot against him. Genesis 28 records Jacob's famous dream at Bethel. He sees a staircase to heaven and angels ascending and descending on it. This prompts him to make a vow that if God will bring him safely back to Canaan, then he will build a sanctuary to God there. Now, because to him it's clearly a house of God, Jacob names the place Bethel. Beth, Beth meaning house and El meaning God. In Genesis 29, Jacob's issues follow him to Badan Aram. He meets Laban's shepherd daughter, Rachel. He becomes betrothed to her, is tricked into marrying her older sister, Leah, which is a good advertisement against drinking a lot on your wedding day. And then he marries Rachel too, for good measure. But big surprise, marrying two sisters doesn't go great. Leah knows she's not Jacob's love. And the text tells us that God starts blessing Leah with children that she's hoping will gain Jacob's favor. When that doesn't happen by her fourth son, Leah turns her attention from her husband to God, who had been blessing her all along. She names their fourth son Judah, meaning praise to God. In Genesis 30, Rachel and Leah descend into an all-out baby war, trying to vie for position in the household by seeing who could have the most children, even utilizing their maidservants as surrogates. Genesis 31 sees the family leave Padanaram for home after Jacob has become considerably wealthy, and his relationship to Laban is starting to sour. Now, on the way out, Rachel steals her father Laban's household idols. Turns out she wasn't a big fan of her father either. In Genesis 32, Jacob's preparing to face the consequences of his earlier actions. He has to meet Esau. Now, clearly distressed, he plans on spending the night alone to prepare, but a mysterious man appears to fight him. Turns out, this is a life-changing moment for Jacob. He comes back to Canaan to take on the mantle of Abraham's covenant with God. And God has promised him to now fight for him. As Jacob has fought for himself his entire life, now he must rest in God. 
In Genesis 33, Jacob and Esau meet, and it goes well. Esau has moved on from his murderous intentions, and he's built a good life for himself. Genesis 34, things immediately begin to go badly for Jacob's family. When at the city of Shechem, his daughter Dinah is violated. Now, Jacob tries to arrange peace, but his sons, that are the full brothers of Dinah, take revenge and they go on a murderous rampage that puts the family in danger of retribution from the surrounding people. God protects them, though, and the family moves to Bethel. Genesis 35 records Jacob building that promised altar to God at Bethel, and the covenant between God, or Israel, and God uh, is confirmed. Rachel's death in childbirth to her second son, Benjamin, is also recorded. In Genesis 36, it gives us a record of Esau's descendants who become the nation of Edom. Then in Genesis 37, we begin to move on to the Joseph narrative. We see Jacob's sons plotting to get rid of Jacob's favorite son and apparently chosen heir, Joseph, Rachel's first biological son. Now, the brothers end up selling Joseph as a slave and saying that he was killed by wild animals. Genesis 38 takes us for a quick tour of Judah's life. Judah was Jacob's fourth-born son by Leah, and Genesis 38 shows us a huge and life-altering, humbling moment in his life. Judah marries a Canaanite woman and has three sons who we're told are exceptionally wicked. He marries his first son to a woman named Tamar, but we're told that Judah's son was so wicked that God caused him to die. Judah then arranges for his second son to marry Tamar in a leveret or brother marriage, but he too is wicked and God puts him to death. Now Judah has a third son, but he's not taking that chance. He lies to Tamar, sends her away to her family home to presumably grow old and destitute. But in a twist of fate and morality, Tamar ends up tricking Judah into sleeping with her, uh, giving her what she was culturally owed, a son to carry on her first husband's name and inheritance. Except Tamar has twins, and the patriarch Judah is humiliated, declaring that Tamar is more righteous than he is. Genesis 39 brings us back to the Joseph story. Joseph was working as a slave in Potiphar's house and had proven himself so trustworthy and hardworking that he's essentially Potiphar's property manager. Now, this all comes crashing down when Potiphar's wife attempts an intimate relationship with Joseph and he refuses. She accuses him of attempted assault and Joseph is sent to jail. But even in jail, Joseph eventually gains a lot of responsibility. Genesis 40 sets us up for how Joseph gets out of jail. The Pharaoh of Egypt sent his cupbearer and baker to prison, where they both have dreams, and Joseph interprets the dreams correctly for them. The cupbearer is released from prison and restored to his profession. In Genesis 41, it's two years later, and Pharaoh's plagued with disturbing dreams that no one could interpret. His cupbearer recommends Joseph, who is brought from prison. Joseph successfully interprets the dream, and ever classy and honest, he gives full credit to God. The dream has prophesied a horrible seven-year famine, and Joseph proposes a plan to safeguard Egypt from the famine. Pharaoh accepts the plan and elevates Joseph to second in command to prepare Egypt. Joseph also marries an Egyptian woman, and we're told they have two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. We're told the preparations work and have the added benefit of making Pharaoh exceedingly wealthy. In Genesis 42, Joseph's brothers make their way to Egypt because the famine has also struck Canaan and there's no food left. 
Benjamin, Joseph's full brother, remember that they have the same mother, Rachel, Benjamin does not come to Egypt. He's protected by Jacob as the new favored son. Now, Joseph recognizes his brothers in Egypt, but they don't recognize him. He must look very different in his Egyptian official garb and role. Joseph orchestrates having them arrested so that he can hear their conversations to make out their characters and to try to force them to get Benjamin to come to Egypt. The brothers go home to Jacob, but Jacob will not let Benjamin go to Egypt. In chapter 43, the family eventually runs out of provision again and has to go back to Egypt. So Benjamin goes too because he's going to die anyway if they can't get food from Egypt. Joseph feeds the brothers when they get there. In chapter 44, we see Joseph's final test of the brothers. He sets a trap for them. He makes it look like Benjamin stole from him. When Judah tries to take Benjamin's punishment for him, Joseph finally sees the evidence of change. They aren't the same men who gladly sold Rachel's eldest son into slavery. That brings us to Genesis 45, in which Joseph reveals himself to his brothers tell, and tells them how he understands or interprets his life, basically is orchestrated by God for the good of the family. And he sends them back to Canaan to bring the whole family back to Egypt. We learn there are still five years left of famine. In Genesis 46, Jacob and Joseph are finally reunited in Egypt, and Joseph prepares them to ask Pharaoh permission to settle in Goshen, which was in the Nile Delta area. Finally, in Genesis 47, the Israelites are allowed to settle in Goshen, and there's a record that explains how Joseph's plan made Pharaoh the most powerful king, in, uh, king that Egypt had ever known. Now, Pharaoh now owned all Egypt's land except for that which belonged to the Egyptian priests. And there we go, Genesis 26 to 47 in 10 minutes or less. Now, if you'd like to hear some commentary on these passages and have some questions about these passages discussed, then please check out The Weekend Show. I'll see you there. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.